Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here. We are in the book of Colossians still. We're almost to the end, though. We're in chapter, the end of chapter 3. We'll be looking at that in the beginning of chapter 4. And we'll have one more message next week on Colossians, and then we'll be done with this book. I hope and I pray that this book challenged you, uh, maybe even got you a little out of the comfort zone. That was kind of the point of it. It's a great book. It really challenged me as I was going through it. And sometimes we, we go in these things, you know, and, uh, and we... It makes us feel very uncomfortable when we deal with real doctrine and real truth in the Scripture. You know, somebody says, you know, that, uh, you know, preaching shouldn't be offensive and stuff like that. And some preachers try to really balance that. And, and, and what I find is that, you know what, the gospel is offensive. Um, scripture says the gospel is offensive for those who are perishing. And hopefully this, this book has challenged you to really dig deeper into the Word of God. So, uh, so we're going in. That's why we called it uh, Rooted Deep, Growing Tall. Hopefully that will work for you. Uh, we're going to go into uh, Easter. We're going to do Palm Sunday. Um, and then I'm going to do another uh, revival message. And then we're going to get into the book of Philippians after that. And we're going to go about 11 weeks into Philippians. Uh, where the message for or the series in Philippians is going to be high definition living. And it's going to help you take what you learned about Christ and the sufficiency of Christ in this series and put it into practical application in the next letter of Paul. Um, and this goes along with what Paul's, uh, one of Paul's prison letters that he wrote. So this week, we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about uh, making relationships work. And, and we're, we're all in, uh, you know, as human beings, we're all in relationships, different kinds of relationships. We have uh, work relationships, home relationships. We have relationships everywhere. Nobody is sitting there in a, as a hermit in a, in a cave somewhere. You know, we, we're all relating to other people. So this message, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what Scripture says in this book in, in verse 18, or chapter 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, um, talks about this relationship area. And, and, and we're going to get real practical today. Um, and we're going to talk about how relationships should work in our Christian life. But before we get into the text, there's a few things about relationships we need to discuss. We need to talk about this a little bit so when we get into the verses, we'll understand a little bit greater and they'll have a little bit more meaning to us. And, and one of them is that the faith, our faith must come home uh, with us and to work with us. We don't just have faith on Sunday mornings. We don't just have faith in our, our Christian walk on Sunday and, and check it off and then go on Monday. We're no different. Our faith and our relationship with Christ is, is something that comes in all relationships, and it infects all of us in, in all aspects of our lives. So it must come home and work for us. This is talking about our home life and our work life. Our, our faith must work in our everyday affairs of living. And there's nothing more routine in, in our lives than faith uh, or work and family. I mean, most of our time is dedicated to work and family, right? How many hours do we put in at work? When we're, if we're working, we're putting 40, 50, 60 hours of work. Um, when we're at home, we're spending time with our families. We're spending time with our grandkids or our kids. I mean, those are the two major things in our lives that, that impact us the most. So, so the true test of a relationship with Christ would be how to look at this relationship with our friends and family, or our family and work. If Jesus is supreme in your life, then, then it should show how you relate to family members. And, 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 and it should be prevalent. You should be able to see that how you relate to other people. 
Paul shows that faith must be lived out in the family. And Jesus is referred to in these verses that we're going to look at, he's referred to as Lord or Master over seven times in this small section of verses. Because of his lordship finds this expression in the day-to-day routine and relationships of our lives. The second thing is that the relationships have different roles, and, and it's an issue of function, not inferiority. See, we all have different roles. I have kids, and they have a different role than, than I have. I have a different role here at, at church than maybe somebody you guys have. We have. It's not about superiority or inferiority. It's about just different roles that we all take. And it's important to understand that as we go into these verses. It's not talking about roles. Or it's talking about roles, not rulers. Husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and employees, all are equal in rank, but we all have different roles to play. Look at, uh, looking back at Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, and adding, uh, and adding to Paul's list from Galatians 3.28, Paul equates male and female as equal. So we know this as we go into talking about these relationships and husband and wives, that you have to understand that we're talking about husband and wives being equal. Having said that, individuals have a role to play in the family, and we're all disciples of Christ, but we have different responsibilities. For instance, the husband and wife are personal equals before God, but they have different roles and functionality in the relationship with God, or I mean in the relationship with each other. We also have to understand that relationships are give and take. It's not just one way is the right way or, you know, this is how, how it has to be. It's, it's a give and take. Anybody that's been married any amount of time understands that, you know, we, us men, we don't get it our way all the time. And the same thing with the women. The women don't always get it their way. It's a give and take in a healthy relationship. So we have to understand that as we go into this verses. Children and parents, employers and employees also give and take. When we're an employee, we give our time in exchange for money. We give our time and expertise in exchange for a paycheck. Employers are to give their time and opportunities to provide you with the job. And so it's a give and take. It's an equal thing. Wives, children, slaves, and slaves, for the discussion of this, we're going to consider that employees, are, are looked down upon in society during this time. But see, Christianity elevated women, which is kind of interesting. As we dig into these verses, you'll find this, is that Christianity actually elevated the status of women and children during that time. During that time, women and children, slaves, were considered inferior. But Paul, in his writings, lifts them up. So it's kind of ironic that you watch TV now or watch the news or watch some of these, um, some of these people say, look, you know, Christianity just uh, oppresses women. No, actually, it's the opposite. We actually are, uh, the Christians, elevate the status of women. It's also interesting to know that Paul abonishes those in authority as he tells husbands, fathers, and masters to be loving and kind and fair. See, during that time, they were very harsh. They were harsh for those people, and, then, and the men were the, the dominant rulers. And, and what Paul starts to say later on, we'll see this, is Paul starts to say, look, you know what? You need to be loving and fair and kind to your staff, kind to your slaves, kind to your children, kind to your wife. And we need to study these pairs together. And the last thing we need to understand before we get into the verses is that families are in need today. We see broken up families all around. Anybody would, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. That families are in high need. 
I won't take the time to quote statistics, but we know that divorces are prominent. Single-family homes are normal today. There's, pro- there's problems in marriages, problems in, in families, and something needs to be done. Since the, first, the very first institution that God founded was the family, we should probably listen to him and apply some things that he teaches in our lives, and maybe we can start doing some healing in this, and we won't see families being broken up. We need to look at what he has to say in the Bible about families. Just, because, just like he created physical laws and natural laws, he also made, uh, he set up the family plan right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. God created the family and he gave good guidelines and practical parameters to follow. And if we ignore them, then we do so in our own prayer. See, all through Scripture, it's all about relationships. See, a lot of people at the Old Testament got hung up on the, the, the Jewish rules, the Jewish laws, the rabbinical writings. And they would think, okay, if I do these things, I get to go to heaven. That's what Paul talks about a couple, uh, a couple chapters before that. But then when you look at uh, the family, um, when you look through other parts of Scripture, you'll find that, that it's all about relationships. They, what, Paul, or what they wanted was a relationship with God. What God wanted is a relationship with his people. And he kept doing that over and over and over again, all through Scripture. And just one Scripture, for example, is in Matthew 5. It says, so if you have an offering, uh, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and, you're, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and reconcile with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. See, relationships are important. Even before God, before you give an offering, God tells you to go reconcile with relationships. That's how important relationships are all through Scripture. God says in Ephesians 4, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, for you were sealed, uh, sealed for the day of redemption. And, and so when, and he says, you know, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't, don't sadden the Holy Spirit by your behavior. And he goes on and lists a whole bunch of behaviors in there. In, chap, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, All bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander must be removed. And all malice. So it talks about relationships. That's again a relationship. That's all about how we interact with each other. Paul or Peter writes in chapter three, verse seven, says in the same way, you husbands honor your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. See again, the marital relationship. Talks about relationships. All through Scripture, talks about relationships. So that's why this message is about relationships at work. And this next chapter, and this next part, we're going to start, we're going to move it on through the Colossians. And this next part, Paul gives into some practical application on the three major sections of relationships in your life. But before we get into that, you need to look at chapter or verse 17, because he, he, this is the pivotal point. He says, whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. So in everything we do, we should do in, in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he moves on to verse 18, and he starts talking about husbands and wives. And he starts talking about this relationships. And he talks about three specific relationships, which we'll get into. So hopefully you keep an open mind on this. Uh, I hope you uh, open up your mind to what... Paul is talking about here and these relationships, and hopefully we can uh, apply that in our lives. Um, if you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 18, we'll be reading through until verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and it'll be up on your screen, as, uh, so feel free to follow along. In verse 18, wives, 
Submit to your husband as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your children or your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, be, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Working diligently, or working willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that your ma- the master you are serving is Christ. But if, you do not, but if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair for your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Before we dig into this, let's pray. Father God, as we open up your word and we open up these verses in Colossians, open our hearts and our minds to you and help us learn. We ask the Holy Spirit to be here today and, and guide us and mold us and, and whatever it is that we need to learn today, Lord, we just ask you to teach it to us. These are your words, Lord. So we ask you to guide us so we can become holy followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Now this passage is, uh, one thing we'll see in this passage is things called uh, a household order. And this is, a household order is something that has been around for a long time. It's actually, it was uh, around in the Hellenistic age, which was around the time that Jesus walked. Um, or during that time, that was the Greek philosophies and the Greek religion during that time. And they can be found, this, this household order can be found all the way back to even Plato, it was, it was a very common thing to look at and, and, and a common thing to talk about. And the, the Stoics uh, found it particularly useful because they saw the household as a, a basis for the overall social order. So if you have the household right, they use that as kind of a, you know, here's the household, this is the way it should be, but also they applied it in society. And so it's very important that Paul addresses this because he knows that's who he's talking to. He knows that he's talking about these, these heretics that are trying to come in and say, you've got you know, you to do these uh, extra things to earn your salvation. So, so he's dealing with these directly. So he goes into this household order to explain the way the church, the family of Christ should be. The, the household's order is directed to the members of a household, which in Paul's day is considered to be three main relationships. Three main relationships of husband and wives, parents and children, and slaves and masters. And so he addresses those three in the, those verses we just read. Now the first one is uh, talking about marriage. He's talking about God's guidelines for marriage, and he clarifies some of these things. And he says the Bible's view of marriage is a partnership and each partner is fulfilling a certain role, a partnership in a marriage. Um, there, there's not one's uh, elevated to a status and the other one's inferior. They're both equal in a relationship, but they have different roles to play. Colossians 3.18 begins with the duty of wives. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as it's fitting to the Lord. Now, I want to say that, that this is probably one of the most controversial Bible passages in the Bible. Because people all around the country um, dispute that. When, when I, I did some marriage counseling about a year ago, and um, they, this, this young lady, they were getting, it was premarital counseling, and we got to this verse. 
And boy, did she heat up. She was mad at me. She was like, that is not, uh, that's taken wrong. And she just went off. And I said, look, it's not about you know, him being superior over you. It's just different roles. I tried to explain it, but she was mad. So, you know, 69% of Americans believe that that's wrong. 69% of Americans fight and argue about that. That's from a, 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 a Gallup poll. It is a controversial statement. So let me clarify some things on this. Nowhere does it say that the wife is to obey the husband. You notice that the word that's used is submit. It's not obey. See, in, the, in verse 20, children are called to obey. Children are called to obey. That's very specific. Now you look over in, in verse 22. Slaves are called to obey. Or in this, in this term, we'll use it equated as employees or staff members. Yeah, they're... they're you know, if Wes tells his staff member to do something, he should do it. Uh, Kevin, when you tell somebody to do something, they should do it. Because there's a, there's a certain obedience as being a leader, as a, being in charge. That's normal. That's, that's acceptable. But when it comes to wives, it's different. He doesn't use the word obey. He uses the word submit. And there's a very big difference there. This has application to wives in marriage relationship only. This is not for single women. This is about marriage relationships. Both husband and wives are to submit to the Lord equally and then submit to each other. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence. So there's not this, this hierarchy that people think sometimes. The concept of submission is taught in many places in the Bible, but it does not mean slavery. It does not imply inferiority. The Greek word actually means to arrange oneself under the delegated authority. It's just to submit to their leadership. It's to say, okay, you know what? God has put you in a position of leadership, and I'm going to submit to that leadership. Same thing's true in military. When you have military officers versus the enlisted, you know, you submit to the leadership of the officers. And that's a willful thing. You don't have to. You'll end up in the brig if you don't, but you don't have to. That's a choice you have. But you still are to submit to the leadership. And that's the same term that's being used here. And this is similar to what Paul praised the believers in Colossians in chapter 2. He says, I delight to see how orderly you are. And that's what he's referencing here, this, this submission and this orderliness that's coming from this. Now, in the home, the wife is to, to submit to the delegated authority of the husband. Now, I recognize that some of you might get aggravated by this. Some of you might, don't throw rocks at me on my way out the door today, okay? This is just what Scripture says. But 69% of the public disagree with that statement. The reason for submission is found at the end of verse 18. At the end of it, it says, submit your, the wife, submit to the husband... For it's fitting to the Lord. So Scripture is telling you, look, if you submit to your, to your husband, there's a blessing involved. This is what the Lord wants. He wants it. It's fitting for you. Another translation says it this way. This is what the Lord has planned for you. This is what He's planned for you. The wife is to submit to the husband out of the same allegiance that she shows Christ. This is not a cultural deal. It's a but it represents God's sense of order in the marital relationship. It's also how he set it up in the very beginning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 reminds us, for God formed Adam first and then Eve. And there was an order in there. 
Now, submission carries the idea of entrusting oneself to leadership in, in order to accomplish a task. When a Christian woman submits to the Lord and to her own husband, she will experience a release amount of fulfillment that will come in no other way. The end result will be an environment of intimacy, growth, uh, partnership in ministry, partnership in the household, and it will make all the difference in the world. Now, husbands, we talked about wives, now it's our turn. Husbands, before you start gloating and being like, that's right, you ladies need to submit to me. Before you even start thinking about that, look at what Scripture says about this. In verse 19, it says, Husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So now, there's a saying where there's a submissiveness involved, but then it also says to the husband, you better be nice. You better treat them right. Treat them with, don't be harsh. Love your wives. There's a story I heard not so long ago about a wife who, who uh, her, she was married to this guy who um, would make a list of all the things that she was required to do. Uh, food on the table at 5 o'clock, have everything pressed and ironed. I mean, he was just very boot camp, very drill sergeant, and she got mad and she would be angry with him. If it wasn't perfect, she would fuss, he would fuss at her, um, and just nothing was ever right. And so eventually they went to counseling, it didn't work, nothing worked, so they ended up getting divorced. So there's this long list. Um, and then she got married to a wonderful Christian man, and they started going to church together, and, and one day she was cleaning out the um, closet, and she ran across the list of things to do from her ex-husband. And when she looked at the list, she started laughing. At first she got mad, but then she started laughing because she realized all of those things on the list she's doing for that new husband. But she's doing it because she loves him and because he loves her. And there's a certain amount of, of, of relationship. You know, when we love somebody, we want to do things for them. But if we demand it, we're going to be treated, we're going to have it different, aren't we? The Bible says, God says more about the, the quality of a man's leadership than he does about the wife's submission. I personally think that the responsibility of the good, healthy marriage is the man's responsibility. Because I think we are harsher, we have a tendency to be more harsh than the women are. Bad marriages are usually results of the husband's inability to love his wife instead of the wife's refusing to be submissive. That's just in my experience in counseling. It's usually the guy, usually in my counseling experience, it's usually the wife that's like, look, I will do whatever it takes to heal this marriage. And the husband is usually the one that's being stubborn and bullheaded about it. I've yet to meet a wife who would, not willing, who would not be willing to follow the leadership of a man who loves her unconditionally. Now, the word husband originally meant one who holds the house together. It's kind of like a, a gardener uh, taking care of a, of a garden and pull the weeds, and, and he maintains it and, and prunes it and takes care of the garden. As husbands, our responsibility is to love our wives by holding things together, by, by holding the marriage together and providing an atmosphere of growth and faithfulness in our homes. Ephesians 5, chapter, or chapter 5, verse 25 tells us that we are to love our wives with the same love that we have for Christ. The same love we have for Christ. That means that if I love Jenny, I'm willing to die for her just like Christ died for me. 
That's how serious it is. Now, there's a great example of that in a story back in 2001 about a guy named Brandy Burris. Now, he was in a front yard um, just doing some yard work, and he meets this young lady who just moved into the area, and she had a stroller, and she was just walking down the street. They talked for two or three minutes, got to know each other. She started to go on, on her way, and all of a sudden, he hears a, uh, a car uh, squealing around the corner out of control. So she goes to run out of the way, and she, her tire and the, the, the uh, cart got stuck, and this car is about to hit her. So Randy jumps out, grabs the cart, pushes the cart into the, into the grass, saves the child, saves the mother, and he gets hit and killed. Now this, this young man was drunk driving. He was 18 years old, um, and he got uh, 18 years in prison for manslaughter. Now at the, at the hearing or the sentencing, this young lady, her name was Heather Carlson, she traveled up from Miami to go to this, the hearing. And this is what she said about Burris. See, she said that Randy is our hero. The greatest thing a person can do is to lay down their life for another person. And that's what he did for us. I wish I knew him more than those three to five minutes. Randy only knew them only a few minutes, just a quick interaction right there. But he was willing to jump in and, and push a child and a woman out of the way and save their life. There's nothing greater than laying down the life for somebody else. And if that's what Jesus did for us, that's how we should treat our wives. See, there's a lot of weight that is put on the husband. We really have a big job, and that is to love our, our wives as Christ loved the church. Now, that kind of love is, is, is challenging us to us. It's hard. Sacrificial love, true sacrificial love to that point. We've got to put our own desires aside. We've got to put what we want aside and provide for our families. That kind of love is called agape love. There's, in Greek, there's four different types of love, and this particular one is called agape love. And it's the kind of love that's based on commitment, not emotions or romance. It's a commitment. It's a verb. It's an action. It's something that we actually do. If you're here this morning and you no longer feel in love with your wife, I'm going to shoot straight with you. It doesn't matter what you feel. Biblical love is a verb and a command. You do it. You do it. You act it. You take her out on a date. You, you act in love. I want to, uh, we're going to watch a quick video, about a three-minute video. And there's going to be, on this video, there's going to be six different um, steps or things that will help a marriage. Take a look at this. Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Smalley, and I've been helping marriages for years improve. And I've got a couple of friends who have some very unique insights into marriage, and I want you to meet them. Hey, thank you, Gary. My name is Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And you know, marriages is something I think we're all excited about and something that we think we can bring a lot of wisdom to. Isn't that right, Dr. Dobson? Uh, Smalley? Oh, well, oh. That, that's our faux pas. But we've got some killer marriage tips we think they are really going to knock your socks off. Yeah. So let's do some dancing, get this party started, and help marriages no. out all over the country. Let's no, do it. No, let's go ahead and just roll with the tips. No dancing. When you get the chance... Finish your wife's sentences for her. Yeah. It's important that she knows that you know where she's going with a particular thought or sentence. Yeah, this says, I know you, I love you, 
and you're predictable, but in a good way. When on vacation, have fun, but make sure your wife knows exactly how much this thing is costing. Now remember, allowing her to feel guilt can actually be a good thing. Right you are, because guilt is actually an acronym for good financial stewardship. Now, that's... Yeah, it is. It is. When you're in an argument, it's key to use the time that your spouse is talking to come up with what you want to say next. So it goes like this. You speak, and then while she's speaking, you think, and then you speak again. And that's how the killer comebacks happen. Surprise your wife with a weekend trip for you and your buddies. Husbands, doing this will help her see that you're taking care of your needs. And taking care of your needs will give you the ability to take care of her needs. You know, putting your kids in timeout works for most parents, but putting your spouse in timeout can also be really effective. Putting your spouse in the timeout chair will hopefully help her see things from a different perspective, preferably yours. And if you get any pushback, I'd let her know that you're having a hard time telling her apart from the children. <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic. Okay. Whenever your wife tells you about something she wants to buy, respond with the sound effect of a cash register. Here's a little role play for you. Hey, honey, I'm going to go buy some skinny jeans. Cha-ching. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going to go get some bread now. Cha-ching. <laughs> You know, guys, uh, those are kind of horrible tips. Okay. I guess she didn't like them that much. I mean, when you think about it, uh, those were killer tips, and I think they'd, like, kill most marriages. Well, I guess we're at an impasse then. Awkward. Hey, Gary, here's an idea, though. To keep the video rolling, let's just do the robot at the end and... Send this thing off with some fun, if you know what I'm saying. We gonna do that with us? I, I, I tell you what, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable by this, and it's kind of like weird. Now I know that was a little silly, no goofy, and and that was the point of it. But you know, th these some of these tips, if you if you listen to them, have have you you gotta admit you've done at least one. Right? I did number one. I cut off people's sentences all the time. And so, uh, and, and I'm sure you've done at least something, uh, or maybe not. But, uh, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about love and how we should be and how we should treat our spouses. And it says this. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. The last part of Colossians chapter 3, verse, 6, or verse 19, when it talks about the husbands, it says, it says, husbands, not to be harsh with our wives, not to be harsh in how we treat them and how we talk to them, this phrase is to be uh, translated another way. Don't become embittered or resentful toward her. That's another way of explaining it. Husbands are to prevent that sour attitude to get root. It's, if, if it starts to root up, we've got to get rid of that. 
We've got to not be bitter toward her. The only, time, it's the only other time this word is used in the New Testament refers to something that's bitter in taste, that sourness. Don't let that take root in your relationship. Paul is telling the husbands not to call their, their wives honey and then pour it out and, and act like vinegar. Don't, don't have that sour taste. Now, as we moved on from the wives and uh, husband and wives, now we move on to parenting. Now, I know many of you, um, your kids are older and, and you have grandkids now. So some of this can apply uh, also to grandparenting too. Because I believe that grandparents have a great, important role in the lives of the grandchildren. I truly do. And I think, uh, I think treat, training, grandparents training their grandkids up in the ways of the Lord is extremely valuable. And I know a lot of people who were raised by the grandparents, or, being, or it was the grandparent that was the one that led them to Christ because their parents weren't saved. So there's grandparents. You grandparents have a lot to do with this. So as we read this, if you're a grandparent, Think about some of these things and how you might be able to apply in your relationship with your grandkids. But Paul addresses this relationship between children and parents in verse 20 and 21. It says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. See, kids have a duty to listen to their parents and carry out the instructions of their parents. The verb here is in present tense, which indicates it's a habitual, ongoing thing. It's not, it's not I'm going to obey once in a while. It's an ongoing, habitual thing that should be played out in the lives of a child. When a child obeys his parents or her parents in everything, the Lord is pleased. And, and it's the only uh, commandment with a promise. And this promise is that, that if you, as you, a child obeys their parents, they will enjoy a long life on earth. Obedience bring, brings God's pleasure and comes with that promise. And as such, children must be taught the importance of obedience. In Samuel 15, 1 Samuel 15, God puts rebellion on par with witchcraft and idolatry. That's how serious He talks about when kids do not obey their parents. Because of ramifications of disobedience and the blessings of obedience, parents must take it serious in how we raise our children. And take it serious, that task of child-rearing. We need to be engaging and encouraged, encouraging, and we must also expect obedience from our children. That's why Colossians 3.21 gives fathers an awesome responsibility. It says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. All through the Old Testament, there's relationships with fathers and sons. And you can see the different ways they, they are. And for example, Joshua was strong in his determination for his family to serve the Lord in Joshua 24. Eli, on the other hand, was, con was condemned because of his failure to restrain his sons. While Paul used the word father to show here the strategic role dads play, in the Greek it certainly also includes mothers. In Paul's day, a father was more like a dictator than anything else. So when Paul's talking about this, there's a relationship between uh, husband and wives and father and child. He's, he's really challenging the status or the way the culture was during that time. And another reason why he brings it up, I believe, is the importance of fathers in the relationship with kids. See, I think we, fathers have a tendency to be bitter with their kids, and that's a reason, another reason why he's dealing with this issue directly. There are many fathers out there that can lead a child to discouragement by the things that they do. They can lead them to discouragement by ignoring them 
Oh, you know, I'm too busy to take you out. I'm too busy to take you to the movies. I'm too busy to spend time with you. I'm too busy to go fishing with you. I'm too busy, busy, busy. And, I can't, and we don't spend time with our kids, and we ignore them. And then over the time, these kids become, um, it, it creates this deep-seated resentment with their parents. Children in these homes grow up to feeling unloved and unaccepted. And many are, uh, end up looking elsewhere to fulfill those needs. Some parents indulge their children, and these types of fathers give their children everything they want. And then they become spoiled. And they don't have obedience and they whine and complain when they don't get what they want. And then as they grow up, they become dissatisfied with things. Some parents or some fathers insult their kids. Some dads like to criticize their kids and even call them names and, and rude and ridicule them and sarcasm and just put them down. Some parents intimidate them and, and then and, and do threats and unfair expectations. See, we can discourage kids so fast. I was talking with somebody not too long ago about how the importance about, about kids and teens, especially how, how they're so fragile. And we think that, that you know, kids don't break, but they do. So there's an old saying that you know, kids bounce, they don't break, but that's not true. They break, and they're fragile. And if, we can, we, if we're not uh, taking care of our, the way we talk to people, it will affect how we raise these kids. Fellow fathers, we must take it easy. Make it as easy as possible for our kids to obey. The way we treat them has a lot to do with their ability and willingness to fulfill their responsibilities at home. Ephesians 4, or chapter 6, verse 4 puts it this way. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, in our household, one of the things I tell the boys is I'm not training you to be boys. I'm not training you to be kids. I'm training you to be godly men. And I tell them that over and over and over and over again because I want them to know that it's not about what you get or, or how much stuff you have. It's about what kind of man you are. And when you do that, you're training these kids to be up in the ways of the Lord. So as we talk about the husband and wife, we talk about this, this relationship, the parent relationship, God, uh, Paul goes right into this workplace, the third relationship that we have, and that is in the workplace. And beginning in verse 22, we come to some teaching about slaves and their masters. Most homes had slaves in them, and this fits the general, uh, the, the common group of that time. And what he's talking about is, uh, what he's leading into about this is he's trying to teach masters and slaves how to react to each other in this new family of the Christian family. Because the church was the only place where there wasn't any distinction. Remember, last, I think it was last week, we talked about how there wasn't a, a status about how much, where you were in, in society, and that in church we are all equal. And so this is what he's moving on to talk about that. He's basically saying, look, you know, we're at church, we're all equal, and this is how we're going to treat each other. It's probably the only place in society that they would get together on the same level without racial or class distinction. And at the time Paul was writing, almost 50% of the inhabitants in the Roman Empire were slaves. So half the population were slaves. You think the church was filled with a lot of slaves? Definitely. And so he's addressing this very common issue. And it's important to know that slavery was not a racial issue in the Roman world. A lot of it was financial um, or it was military defeat. They came from another country. The Roman Empire conquered it. And Romans were smart. They would take a, a bunch of the people from that home country and separate them. 
especially the men, and pull them out to a different area, and then it would, un- and then we would fill it up with Romans, and that's how they kept that country under under guard. And so these people would come into the Roman Empire as slaves, and it was either that or because of some debt that they owed, they were bought into slavery. And those are the two common things. And while there are not exact similarities in the workplace today for us, we can apply this, uh, this passage to our jobs. And that would work just fine. In verses 22 through 25, teach us some valuable principles as our role as employees. One thing is we need to do is we need to do our best all the time. We need to give it our all. Give it our best for everything. Whether we're at work or we're to work as hard, not just when the boss is around, but even when he isn't. We need to have integrity, and we need to work hard even when the bosses aren't around. We're to worship at work. That doesn't mean that you hold a worship service, but what that means is that everything you do at work, you do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. Everything you do, you do it as if you're doing it for God. Properly understood, your job, no matter what it is, can be an act of worship. Sometimes we get this backwards as we look at our jobs to provide us with meaning and significance. But instead, we should be looking at our job, our our service to God as meaning and significance for the job that He's given you. Recognize that Jesus is your boss. Since Jesus is your master, work as His servant in your job. This means that we should never be sloppy or unethical. Remember verse 17 in chapter uh, Colossians 3? Colossians 3, 17, it says, do all things unto the Lord. This is what he's talking about. Colossians 4, 1 provides a challenge for the employers too. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. See, masters are not free to treat their employees any way they want. They still have to answer to God and how they treat them. See, everything we do in marriage and family and workplace must be done in recognition that we have a master in heaven watching us and encouraging us. And, and if we love Jesus and we, we have this relationship with them, it should overflow into these relationships. Such as our attitude should always be to please them in everything we do. And, and I know we're, we're going to have moments where we're, we're not going to honor God, but the point is, is recognize those moments and say, you know, I'm sorry, God, I should have a better attitude in this. We need to be submitting and loving and obeying and encouraging as we work in our marriages, work with our families, and work in our workplace. So we'll come back to the original question that the Colossians asked. Is Jesus supreme in your life? If so, submit to him in all these relationships. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for all the blessings you bring to us. And thank you, Lord, for the jobs that we have. There's a lot of people that don't have jobs, Lord. Let us always be grateful for those. Father God, thank you for providing for all our needs. And Father God, thank you for our children and our relationships and our marriages. Father God, they're all a blessing to us. And Father God, we we just want to honor you in those three relationships and Father God, we ask you to continue to work in our lives and teach us how to have healthy, godly relationships with those around us. 
Help us have our relationships work. Show us what we need to do. Father God, we love you so much, and we just praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.